Hello and welcome to another edition of Athabasca University Students Union's podcast, AUSU Open Mic. We are coming out to you from coast to coast to coast and all around the world, helping uh, undergraduate students connect with their university and their students union. My name is Danka Watasek. I'm the governance and advocacy coordinator at the Students Union. I would love to share the fact that I'm on Indigenous land in Treaty 6 territory, land inhabited and traveled and cared for by Indigenous people since time immemorial. This place, Amiskwichi, or Edmonton, is a, a traditional meeting ground, gathering place and traveling route of the Cree, Saltu, Blackfoot, Métis, Dene, and Nakota Sioux. Now, beyond recognizing land in, in podcasts, I'm also actively reading and learning about the Papas Chase. They're the people who act, like who inhabited the land I specifically live in, and um, I'm learning a lot. But I'm joined with two guests. I'm going to just turn this over quickly to Amanda. Why don't you introduce yourself and share your land acknowledgement? Hi, Duncan. Thank you for that introduction. So my name is Amanda, and I reside on Treaty 7, traditional Blackfoot territory, home of the Stigziga, Bigani, Ganawa, and also Sutina, Nakoda, the Métis Nation, Region 3, and all the people who make their homes in the Treaty 7 region of Southern Alberta. Thanks, Amanda. We also have Jessica with us. Jessica, why don't you introduce yourself and share your land acknowledgement? Thanks, Duncan. I'm very happy to be here. My name is Jessica Anderson, and I live and work in the city of Airdrie. So the city of Airdrie is located on Treaty 7 territory. I acknowledge that this land is the traditional home of the Blackfoot Confederacy, including the Siksika, Pikani and Kanai, the Sutina Nation and Stony Nakoda Nations, including, including the Good Stony, Chiniki and Bears Paw and the people of Métis Nation of Alberta Region 3. Wonderful. So we're here on June 21st celebrating National Indigenous Peoples Day. And so I'm, I'm wondering, it just happens to be that Amanda and Jessica both ser- sit and serve on our Indigenous circle at AUSU. Before we dive into a bunch of probably more serious questions, let's. what are you guys taking at Athabasca University and what made you choose Athabasca University? I'm taking the post-LPN Bachelor of Nursing program at Athabasca University. And what made you choose Athabasca University? I chose Athabasca University so I could work towards my degree on my own time. I work mm-hmm. full time as a nurse currently, so this way I'm able to have an income while going back to school. That's wonderful. And what about you, Jessica? So I am actually in my third year of the Bachelor's of Human Resources and Labor Relations degree program at Athabasca, and I chose Athabasca mainly for the flexibility. So yeah. like Amanda, I work full time in the industry and I have a family that I take care of as well. So uh, working evenings and weekends in university fits my lifestyle. That makes a lot of sense. What were you guys' favorite class that you've taken at Athabasca University so far? I started my degree December, 2022. So I've only completed one course so far, which was philosophy. Mm -hmm. I really enjoyed this course and, and the writing. And uh, I felt that it was a great course to to begin, and I'm excited to continue with my next courses. Awesome. What about you, Jessica? So I actually have two favorite courses. Uh, the first one is, of course, a human resources course, HRMT 301, which is recruitment and selection. Just love the content, love the information and the, um, the assignments and the final exam and all of that. 
And my, my favorite option that I was taking was Comp 283. And it's the effective use of myths and facts in computer games. So I am a uh, video game person. <laughs> and this course was 100% something that I really enjoyed. And I have a really um, interesting technology background. So mm -hmm. Uh, this allowed me to use my creative side and come up with characters and a world that this video game belongs in. And it was really wonderful. And the tutor was amazing. Awesome. Going a little bit heavier now, um, for centuries, education and government policy has been used as a, a genocidal weapon against Indigenous peoples on Turtle Island. Um, Amanda, can you share a little bit about the history and try and put us put our conversation into context? Yeah, thank you for that question, Duncan. I would say oppression was the real weapon used against Indigenous people on Turtle Island. And unfortunately, it was established through education via residential schools. Education has always been a part of Indigenous life, from teachings of spirituality to connection with the land. We learned from our elders and everything around us. Genocide and oppression started more than 500 years ago. Because of this, we never had the opportunity to evolve in the same way as other populations. First Nations and Inuit people lived abundantly prior to colonization. In fact, they were the ones who first educated settlers. They taught them how to survive on Turtle Island. Turtle Island is the indigenous term for North and Central America. The turtle's head and upper body begin in Northern Canada and Alaska, while the body extends from the USA to Mexico and the tail ends in Central America. With early colonization in Southern Turtle Island, there was a more predominant amount of Spanish settlers. And in Northern Turtle Island, there was a more predominant amount of English, British and French settlers. So there are different mixes of Native American and European throughout Turtle Island. In fact, interracial reproducing is what kept some tribes alive. The entire Indigenous population on Turtle Island decreased by approximately 90% or more before the 1900s. Our Indigenous population was close to extinction in many areas. There were more than 500 tribes on Turtle Island with distinct languages and characteristics. During the late 1800s, the European authorities created a control system called the Indian Act, which was geared towards assimilating Indigenous people. The Indian Act was responsible for reservations, residential schools, and various other laws. At one point, the Indian Act implemented laws which made it illegal for Indigenous people to leave the reserve without a pass, otherwise they would be thrown in jail. It was once illegal for Indigenous people to hunt, farm, fish, practice their cultures and ceremonies, and speak their languages. So basically, it was illegal to be Indigenous. The Indian Act also established Indian status and blood quantum laws to further divide and control us. If a Native woman married a white man, she would then lose Indian status and was forced to leave the reserve. However, if a white woman married a Native man, she would gain Indian status. Indigenous people also lost Indian status when they obtained a university degree and others may have voluntarily given up their Indian status. 
the Canadian government considers you First Nations if you have Indian status. There have been amendments to the Indian Act recently. The great-grandchildren of those who lost status due to, due to this previous law can now apply through the Canadian government to get their Indian status. Although First Nations were the only ones with Indian status, Inuit and Métis people were also impacted by the Indian Act. They also went to residential schools. Today, Indigenous people, First Nations, Inuit, and Métis make up approximately 5% of the Canadian population. Considering how small our population is, some statistics are alarmingly high. More than 50% of children who are in foster care are Indigenous. On a ratio basis compared to other populations, Indigenous people face the highest rates of incarceration violence, murder, and suicide. So the question is, why are these the statistics and how do we change them? Examining Turtle Island's true history plays an important role in reconciliation. Our people need love and healing. We are healing by reclaiming our cultures, families, languages, and connection with the land. But we cannot heal alone. We need the support of Canadians to work towards anti-racism and reconciliation. I also just want to say thank you to everyone who, stand, who stands in solidarity with the Indigenous community. Thanks, Amanda. You know, for me, when, when the Truth and Reconciliation uh, Commission's report and the calls to action came out, that generated a lot of conversation in academic environments, in universities. And I think a lot of people think to themselves that residential schools were like the distant past, but it's not. I mean, the last one closed in 1996 when I was still in high school. That conversation though has been important uh, for both of you. What have you taken away from that conversation that Canadians have been having since the harsh truth of residential schools has been brought forward in the public? There has been a lot of positive changes within the past few years. So seeing these conversations that Canadians are having is it feels like relief. Mm -hmm. so with, with these recent findings, we have more concrete evidence of the Native American genocide for those who were either in denial or unaware. So I think it created a new understanding for Canadians with the intergenerational trauma. And it's just been nice to see the changes that have been occurring. Lately, we have been seeing uh, more Indigenous faces in places where they have not been before, such as on television and, and so on. So that's been really great to see. However, there's still quite a far way for us to go with the truth and reconciliation. Mm -hmm. What about you, Jessica? How, how, have, how has the recent conversation been impacting you? For me, it's greatly impacted me because the Indigenous part of my family and ancestry wasn't as prevalent in the past before a lot of Indigenous people spoke out about residential schools and mm -hmm. the travesty that occurred. One of the, I would say, more prominent schools in Kamloops, BC, I uh, lived in Kamloops with my now husband mm -hmm. for a while and I can't tell you how many times I drove past that site and didn't think anything of it. Um, 
and didn't understand what so many other Indigenous people were saying for many, many, many years. Um, so it's it's about education for me personally mm-hmm. and understanding where I come from and how how important and impactful that is. And everyone's speaking out against the injustices that happened in the past, but also celebrating who we are for the future generations. Mm-hmm. No, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, Western-style post-secondary education, which which there's no doubt is what it is practiced at Athabascan University, uh, it focuses on individualism and very much competitive atmosphere. And I, I think um, that's in direct contrast to a lot of the teachings in Indigenous communities. Have you guys found that to be true in your academic journey? So for my academic journey, I think that the idea of and I believe it might, it probably is this type of Western style idea to be able to memorize a large volume of information mm-hmm. over a short span of time and then be able to dictate that information in an exam of some sort, yeah. I think has impacted me greatly. And I think that that is something that can be improved upon by reaching out and learning about Indigenous teachings and how information is passed on in a different way that makes it so successful. And so, Mm -hmm. uh, and the accessibility of Indigenous studies and Indigenous business courses, I think, can be uh, diarized to students that are not Indigenous and get them excited to take these courses and encourage them to do so, I think that is something that would help. Mm. Uh, just, just by the nature of my job, I get to talk to lots of politicians and decision makers and the general public. And I think there's a misconception among many Canadians that Indigenous students don't have to pay for their education and their university education. Now, I know that's not true. Um, there's a variety of different funding mechanisms for Indigenous students, but uh, you know, a free education is certainly a misconception out there. Why do you think that mis- misconception is out there in the in the public? And what can we do to counter this? And also, like, what kind of changes can we can we make to to make education more accessible for Indigenous uh, students? Thank you, Duncan. That's a great question. I have no idea where this misconception comes from. Um, I have been asked this many times, and it almost comes off in a way that people are suggesting Indigenous people are so privileged. Mm-hmm. So there is a, a lot of misconceptions that people have there, uh, have out there of Indigenous people, and it's frustrating, but I'm, I'm glad that we're creating awareness on this. So there are awards and funding for Indigenous students, as there are for all Canadians. Rupert's Land Institute, for example, offers funding for Métis students in Alberta, but there is limited funding. Funding for First Nations and Inuit people is also limited, and it can be more difficult to obtain. So many applications that are submitted most likely won't even get looked at. There's just an outrageous amount of students and not enough funding. So there are also many Indigenous people who may not be able to prove their Indigenous ancestry for various reasons. So that means that they can't even apply for these funding opportunities. 
I think we should have more funding for Indigenous students. I think the government of Canada should pay for all of our university educations. Let's make this misconception a reality. I like that thought too. What if, What is the big barrier to, to governments investing in Indigenous students? Because you're definitely right. Like it is a, a lack of funding that is producing not the misconception, but the lack of it being a reality. I know that educational outcomes amongst Indigenous um, students are fantastic. University degrees earned by Indigenous students lead to similar employment outcomes and similar health outcomes as it does in the general population. So what? why don't governments invest more in Indigenous education? It's okay if you guys don't know the answer. I mean, I think the answer is racism, but we can... <laughs> I agree. <laughs> I just wasn't sure how to. Okay. No, call a spade a spade. So, I, <laughs> so I believe that this goes back to oppression. Mm-hmm. I believe part of it is keeping us where we are easily controlled. And they don't want us to advance and they don't want us to become more educated. I mean, that's just a personal opinion. I I understand that it's only my opinion and my opinions are sometimes wrong but definitely oppression. Fair. Jessica, any thoughts? I would agree with that. I think it's also important that the funding from the government goes to those that need it the most. And I cannot recall recently any sort of look in uh, research into how many First Nations people, students in particular, have access to university and post-secondary. I mean, Athabasca University would be a great option and would remove the barrier that they may be facing and the Indigenous funding and scholarships that are available for Indigenous people, like Amanda was saying, are few and far between. I have applied for some Indigenous scholarships and bursaries myself and non-Indigenous ones. And I received more non-Indigenous than Indigenous. Mm. And so that's, I think, says a lot. There are an abundance of students that require help. And the students that are of non-Indigenous descent may have the ability to access the funds that they need. And I'm Mm. seeing that. You know, Jessica talked about um, how AU is a, an open distance university, and it, it does try <laughs> both by mandate and by action to remove barriers between people and, and post-secondary education. Is the university making good on that commitment for Indigenous learners? And, and what can the university do better? I hope we don't say the same thing, Amanda. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you say the same thing, then that probably means it's especially true. <laughs> I think Athabasca University is a great place for Indigenous learners uh, as it provides the option of flexible schedules, but there is always room for growth. Indigenous people face barriers outside of the university, which can cause a ripple effect and Mm -hmm. can impact their studies. I would like to see Athabasca University provide more awards and funding for students and perhaps reduce the cost of course extensions. So something that the Indigenous Circle for AUSU is working on in the background is working with Niskatawin to be able to 
potentially mentor other Indigenous students and help them start their university journey. And I think that's something that Athabasca University needs to provide support for. Like Amanda said, Indigenous students have the most barriers when entering university. And so if a mentorship program can be developed and supported by AU, I think that we would have less barriers for incoming Indigenous students. Yeah, that sounds like a great idea. Hopefully we can get it off the ground. You know, when I think about how the conversation has developed, I grow worried that certain initiatives can come across as token or performative. Um, Land acknowledgements are a really good example. Uh, make no mistake, I, I do think a great deal about my land acknowledgement as well as that of my organization. But all the same, I never want it to just be a checkbox. Like, you know, you're not allowed to run a meeting until you do this, but then there's no thought or feeling or contemplation about it. What steps can we take to ensure that initiatives are not just a checkbox, but they're in fact effective and important? I think people need to get out into Indigenous communities more, have conversations with our people, listen mm-hmm. to their stories, just really listen. And those land acknowledgements, whether they're generic or not, I believe it's still effective because it's teaching people who the Indigenous people of that land are. Mm-hmm. So someone may be hearing that land acknowledgement for the first time And it's showing that we are here and we will always be here. I agree with Amanda and I add on to that. They hear or see the land acknowledgement and they see, you know, the Susina Nation. Well, that's fine to see that and acknowledge that you live on their land, but who are they? I agree with Amanda. I think that the land acknowledgement and seeing that is important. However, I also would encourage those that are seeing the land acknowledgement or hearing it to reach out to the Indigenous communities locally to learn more about where they are and the rich culture behind them. Right. So a student's union is, of course, separate than the university. We're, We're usually the ones yelling at the university to do stuff better to serve students. But we're not above critiques. Uh, do you guys have any comments on what AUSU could do be, do better to serve its Indigenous members? We are doing what we can. I think the Indigenous circle is a great start. I think that any Indigenous students in AU that are interested in joining the Indigenous circle, please reach out to AUSU mm-hmm. to get more information. Um, we are stronger together. The more that we can get students involved that are Indigenous, the better. And um, hopefully we can pursue initiatives to make Indigenous student life at AU prosperous and successful. Awesome. You know, Indigenous culture and activism in Canada is thriving. And there's lots of great examples of good work being done by Indigenous leaders, both young and old. Uh, Do you guys have any programs or individuals that you would want to highlight? Yeah, definitely. So I would like to highlight the Bear Clan Patrol. They're doing amazing things within the Indigenous communities. They're always giving back to the community with providing safety and food as well. They have they have responded to some mental health calls in replace of the police and have de-escalated the situations. 
The Aboriginal Friendship Centre and the YMCA also have some amazing Indigenous programs which are helping Indigenous people reclaim and reconnect with their Indigenous communities. So I think these are just real beautiful partnerships with the uh, non-Indigenous and Indigenous communities. And I would also like to mention within our Indigenous circle, we also have some non-Indigenous members who are just very supportive. So I just wanted to recognize them as well because they're advocating for Indigenous rights. What about you, Jessica? Well, in terms of advocacy, I think um, his Instagram handle is Notorious Cree. And I have been following him for quite some time. And I encourage anyone that wanted to get bite-sized information on what's going on. He is a great resource. He keeps the information very truthful and real and shares a lot about his hoop dancing journey as well, which is you know, a little bit of culture there for everyone. And so I, I recommend checking him out on social media. I would also encourage Canadians to uh, check out local uh, vendor events. That's also a great way to get out into the Indigenous community. There's a lot of great people um, coloring it forward, authentically Indigenous. They put on some really great markets. And it's also about supporting the Indigenous community. We have to recognize that because of system, systemic racism, it can be harder for Indigenous people to have the same employment opportunities as non-Indigenous people. So supporting those uh, artists and, and those entrepreneurs, I think, is, is just really a great step towards reconciliation. Mm. And great food too. I can't speak for for every market, but the one that is hosted in my town at the River Creek Casino, amazing food, wonderful bannock. Well, um, do you guys have anything else you want to add before we sign off? I have a bannock quote for you. I'm ready. Duncan, if bannock can rise, so can you. I like that a great deal. I can't take credit for that. That's uh, off of the Res Life. They are a online e-retailer and mm -hmm. um, obviously Indigenous based. And I've been looking at their products for a while and that's on a t-shirt. So nice. that, that code is, it's a good one. I love those t-shirts. As soon as you said Bannock Duncan, I was like, oh, I got to tell him this quote. <laughs> I can't make Bannock to save my life. My husband does. Really? And he is also Métis, so you'd think one of us would maybe be able to do it. Thankfully, he does. I can't. But yeah, you'd think one of us would be able to. <laughs> Thank you so much for having us, Duncan. I really oh, of course. Appreciate... Literally any time, Jessica and Amanda. Um, this has been very thought-provoking as well as fun. So thank you to both of you. Thank you, Duncan. You had some really amazing questions. I really appreciate all your effort on this podcast. Of course. Thanks, Amanda, for coming in with all the history and the facts. That's mm -hmm. it. I really appreciate that. I, yeah. as you know, am like on this beginning journey of understanding being Métis and my family mm -hmm. history. Like my grandfather was in a residential school 
and because of that shared nothing with my mother and family members about being Mm -hmm. Cree. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I'm starting from, you know, any information that my mom can piece together through genealogy and through Mm -hmm. just things that she remembers from her great grandmother and people in our family. It's, it's, it's kind of tough starting from the beginning, but I'm learning as I go, right? Definitely. I'm in the same boat with you and you probably know more than most Indigenous people do. I mean, it's, it's, we're, we all have to start somewhere with this learning and it's also been awesome getting to know you, Jessica. I'm really happy that you did this podcast with us as well. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening and thank you to both of you. And uh, we'll catch uh, you guys on the next episode of AUSU Open Mic. Thank you. Thanks, Duncan.